Well, we want to welcome any first-time guests this morning. If this is your first time with us, we are so grateful that you have taken some time out of your weekend to join us here at West Hill. If you haven't yet stopped by guest services out here in the main lobby, we would encourage you to do that. We have a gift for you. We would love to meet you and answer any questions that you have about our church. My name is Zach. I have the great honor and privilege of being the lead pastor here at West Hill. And if I haven't met you, I'm always at the main doors to come by and say hi. Well, welcome to the fifth and the final part of our series called Asking for a Friend. And so far, we've talked about God's authority, whether or not our identity is determined by our feelings. We've talked about God's plan for relationships, which involve uh, who we should date and who we should marry, and how morality influences our decision-making. And I've been asked a couple of times during this series how to use all of this information that we've covered when talking to people who who don't follow Jesus. And while I do want your life to be impacted in regards to how you live in a world where, uh, with people who are far from God specifically, uh, my intention and my prayer for this series is that the Jesus follower would be able to know what God says about these issues around us and then develop a position on where you stand. That you'd walk into family Christmas dinner this year and you would sit graciously next to your gay cousin, but knowing confidently what you believe inside about that topic. Or that you'd know what to, what to say when your daughter comes home from school and she asks what's wrong with her friend becoming a boy if that's who she feels she's really supposed to be. That you do the right thing when you're standing in the locker room and your best friend tries to show you pornography on his cell phone. Or that you'd know what to say when your friend is considering an abortion and asks for your help and guidance. And that the men that you work with, That they would wonder why you won't laugh at the jokes about people that have different shades of skin. It's a good thing to know truth, and it's a good thing to stand in that truth. But even bigger than that, there is a world that is watching to see if our faith is real. And when we are consistently reflecting God's heart, in these issues and these matters that we've been talking about, we will make an even bigger impact in the world around us that we know is dark. And if, and if you're talking to someone who doesn't share your faith in Jesus Christ, you have to walk into that conversation. And this is, this is challenging, but you have to walk into that conversation knowing that they don't accept the same form of authority in their life as you do. The Bible and the God who inspired it is not their standard. So if someone who is far from God asks you, and and if they don't ask, it's probably not a good thing for you to just bring up just out of the blue. But if they ask you where you stand on any of these issues that, that we've been covering, the goal is for you to be able to kindly say what you believe. And I emphasize the word kindly, because that's not easy either, to kindly say what you believe and then point them to the Bible and tell them why. Because I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus and I do what Jesus says, and then you have a direct line into the gospel. And the gospel is what truly matters in these conversations. 
So be glad to have these conversations when you have the opportunity. But most importantly, be ready to have these conversations. It's been important to me to make sure that this series hasn't come across as as judgmental or accusatory and that I haven't sounded angry or pompous because I, I tend to talk really loud and fast and sometimes that can be viewed as angry. But I've tried to communicate all of this information with kindness. And my prayer has been that the people in the room who follow Christ have been equipped and that you've been encouraged with this information and that you've been reminded to recognize God as your authority in these issues. But I also hope that that the people who don't follow Christ have heard what Christians believe, what God says, and that the way these sermons have been delivered has made them want to know more about our faith. Because today we're going to dive into this final set of hot-button issues in our culture. And these are potentially some of the most challenging ones that we've had to cover so far. The issues of life. Life matters to God, so life should matter to us. Every single life. It's simple. Because life is valuable to God, life should be valuable to us. Whether you're a life that's a fetus, a life that's elderly, a life that's male, a life that's female, a life that's from a different, uh, that has a different skin color, a life that's from another country, it doesn't change anything. Humans were purposefully created by our God, and that gives every one of us the utmost value. It gives us the utmost value to him because mankind was his greatest of all his creations. So please hear that. Because life is valuable to our God, life should be valuable to us. You can't say you value life, but also say it's okay to end the life of a baby in the womb. You can't say you value life, but also believe an elderly person's life isn't worth the cost of their health care. You can't say that you value life, but also live like some nationalities are more important than others. You can't say that you value life, but also treat women like they are worthy of less respect than men. You can't say that you value life, but also treat men like they are worthy of less respect than women. So we see the implications of this mindset all around us every single day. It's on the news we watch, it's in the books that we read, it's in the music that we listen to, it's in the movies that we watch, it's everywhere. And so while I was studying for this sermon, it was very difficult as I think about all of the things that I could talk about this morning, it was really difficult to decide which of the numerous values or the numerous values of life issues that God would have me speak into. This message actually took the most spirit leading for sure, and we could truly spend hours discussing things like feminism and chauvinism and euthanasia and suicide, assisted suicide, human trafficking, capital punishment, child abuse, and animal abuse. We could talk about all of those things and the corresponding angles and caveats that come along with each and every one of them. 
So I prayed and I thought and I evaluated the most predominant issues that impact our culture today and therefore that would impact our church. So we're going to focus on racism and abortion specifically today. It doesn't matter what your upbringing was or what your experiences have been. Devaluing life through racism and abortion can never and will never be okay in God's eyes. And although these topics are challenging, I'm going to do my best not to be a barrier or an offense to anyone in the room who may be hearing this for the first time, or maybe you simply just have some questions today. So please listen this morning with an open mind and an open heart, and consider what God tells us about these topics today. So find Acts chapter 17 in the New Testament of your Bible this morning. We're going to be there. We're going to read one verse, reference another, and then we're going to skip back to uh, Psalm 139 here in just a little bit. But here in Acts chapter 17, we're going to begin reading what God says about the human race. Now, the Bible never even uses the word race in reference to people, but it does describe all humans as being of, of one blood. So if you're there in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, it says, And he made from every man, every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Now, this, of course, speaks to the fact that we are all related, as all humans are descendants of the first man, Adam. We see this referenced in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as well. Paul talks about it, who Adam was created in the image of God. And then we have the last Adam, Jesus Christ, who also was a descendant of the first Adam. And that next verse in, 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 in Acts 17 says that God did this so that this one blood men would seek him. So any descendant of Adam can be saved because Jesus, our mutual relative by blood, died for the sins of mankind, and then he rose again, conquering sin, death, and the grave. So God values his creation, his world, and humans are a part of that world. Now this word for world in the New Testament is, the Greek word is cosmos, and it refers to the inhabitants of the earth, uh, the created earth, the universe, and the world. And so when people use the term race today, it's based almost solely on physical characteristics. But the Bible tells us that we are all one race, one blood, the human race, descended from two ancestors, Adam and Eve. But Darwinian evolution is where this term race originated from and why we still have it with us today. And Christian teachers and scientists are actually suggesting these days, if you, if you dig a little deeper into this and study, that we stop using this term and instead use the phrase people groups, not to be politically correct, I'm not saying that this morning for that reason, but to be scientifically accurate and to be consistent with what Scripture teaches and to send the message that we, re we recognize that all types of people as being made in God's image and valued equally. 
Even secular scientists are pushing this, this thought and agree about this, this race term. An ABC News article stated this. It says, more and more scientists find that the differences that set us apart are cultural, not racial. Some scientists find that the word race should be abandoned because it is meaningless. The article went on to say, we accept the idea of race because it's a convenient way of putting people into broad categories, frequently to suppress them. The most hideous example was provided to us by Hitler's Germany and his perspective on the Jews. Racial prejudice remains common throughout the world. So that we don't misunderstand each other, I want to define our terms this morning. When I say racism, I mean it in its, in its true meaning, without any of the social or the political attachments that we find these days. Because lots of people have tried to declare that lots of things are racist and prejudicial or discriminatory, and we wouldn't possibly have time to cover all of those issues today. It would take a month of Sundays to cover all of the things that culture and society and media are communicating. And there's both good and there's both bad in most of the arguments that we hear today. But for today, here's how the Oxford languages defines racism. Racism is the belief that different races possess distinct characteristics, abilities, or qualities, especially so as to distinguish them as inferior or superior to one another. Now, many in our circles, and I think most here in, in, in this room this morning, would agree that racism as defined here is wrong. But have we spent much time considering why it's wrong? Because we are all made in God's image, as Genesis 1.27 reminds us. And most Christians say that they believe that to be true. But I know some who also struggle to live like they believe it. Because as a white man, I am no more like God. As a person, I'm no more capable of worship, made with no more divine purpose, possessing no more worth and deserving no more dignity than any other human, gender, color, or ethnicity today. Because I truly believe that we are more alike than we are different. We all belong to one race, the human race. But we do have different characteristics. The most obvious is the different shades of pigment that so many people in our world have. I mean, have you ever been people watching at an amusement park or maybe you've gone to Disney? That's where you really see a lot of different types of people and you noticed how, how different people look. I, I love to do that. But you don't have to go all the way to Cedar Point or Disney to do that. You can just go to the Wayne County Fair. Uh, there is, that is the most entertaining place to people watch, by the way. But so many different kinds of people. So many different kinds of people. And although drawings and pictures of Adam and Eve are often of white people with blonde hair and blue eyes, that is not reality. Newsflash, Jesus was not white, a white European man. He wasn't white at all. But to get all the different skin shades from one couple, tons of scientists agree with the fact that Adam and Eve probably had a skin collar of middle brown. 
I read in one science article that, and these are, by, by the way, if, if you're not studying, these are, these are not the most riveting articles. So I'm not saying go out and read a bunch of science articles because they're, they're pretty boring. But I, would, I, I read in one science article that Adam and Eve would have had some variations in their genetics for the shape of their eyes, the color of their hair, and other characteristics. So if you read that kind of, those types of facts, you have to actually consider what that means for us. That every human comes from one man and one woman, and we have to let that sink in for just a second. And when you let that sink in, that Adam and Eve were the first created humans, doesn't it make you feel just a little bit kind of small? I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it makes me feel a lot less different than someone from another country. But when you look back at history, the church has definitely struggled with the issue of racism. And this doesn't look good on Christianity. I mean, you don't have to look too far back into history to, to find Christians who have gotten this so, I mean, so incredibly, incredibly wrong. It's honestly kind of hard for me to imagine anyone who claims the name of Christ and also feel that they have the right to own or oppress or treat poorly another human that has a different skin tone. And I've been surprised to, to hear of, over the years, of historical figures who I've admired and studied who have also owned slaves. People like George Whitfield, who was one of the greatest evangelists who is, of, of all time, he owned slaves. And so did some of our founding fathers. They clearly rejected or they didn't understand this issue from a biblical perspective. Yet sin is sin and we don't participate in cancel culture for someone who made a wrong choice or else we'll have no resources at all to tap into. We absolutely can appreciate the good while firmly rejecting the bad. I still don't get how any Christian could go through with it, though. I mean, the only way that I can wrap my mind around this, this issue is to consider what we talked about last week with, with that, that issue of social consensus. And, and when you research this, the explanation for why slavery was so widely accepted in Christian circles was simply because that's just the way that it was back then. That everyone owned slaves. It was just normal at that time. And all I have to say about that is simple. May God prevent me from ever dismissing such wickedness in my life because that's just the way that it is. Let that never be said of any of us, that we become so numb to the culture around us that we have and that we leave and we have such a terrible legacy of sin. But as I've mentioned multiple times in this series, this has been a problem since the beginning of time. People have been allowing culture to dictate their morality. And then before they know it, that sin doesn't look quite so bad. I mean, if we think of the Old Testament and the rebellion of the nation of Israel, that's exactly what they did. Everyone was doing it, so it was all good. It became the norm. 
And that's just not how it's supposed to be. According to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, if we believe in Jesus, we are all one in Christ. We have all been made in the same image, born into this world with the same problem. We can all find the same redemption through the same faith in the same Jesus. So how can we not accept each other as members of the same family? Heaven certainly has no room for racism. The same thing would apply for gender. Neither men nor women have greater value than the other. We, have, we each have our own unique purposes, and we need each other. And when we function the way that God made us and designed us, it works. So like we have asked each and every week, will we submit to the value God places on human life? Speaking of human life, to change directions, I'd like to, to give you a number. 930,000. That's how many babies have been murdered in the womb or that's how many babies were murdered in the womb in 2020 in the United States alone. So I want you to think for just a minute of the city of Columbus. Imagine how many people there are within the city limits. Their population uh, at last census was 905,000 people. So 25,000 more babies than every human person who is living in Columbus, Ohio, were killed in one year in our country. I mean, just saying those numbers makes me sick to my stomach. But like all of, these, all of these issues that we've talked about, abortion boils down to what authority you recognize. That without the truth of God's word upholding the sanctity of human life, people and nations lose all respect for the sanctity of the unborn. Now, having grown up in a Christian home, I, I, I just kind of assumed that everyone was pro-life. And then I became an adult and that changed. And it wasn't too long into adulthood that I found out that that was definitely not the case. But in my years of ministry, I've talked to many people about their opinion on this topic specifically. And I've heard some pretty interesting perspectives on abortion. And maybe you have too. I even had a, I even had to, uh, this is crazy, uh, there's Tyler who's on our team here at the church, he probably remembers this story a little bit, but I, I even had to let a youth leader go at a different church for communicating and campaigning for his position of being pro-abortion. And his reasons, he was telling the kids, he was telling the kids that it was better for a baby to be aborted and immediately go to heaven than to come to the age of understanding, not accept the gospel, and then go to hell. So he's telling students that. And so if, if we're not informed on things, and if we're not educating ourselves on topics like ectopic pregnancies and their corresponding treatments, for example, culture can give you some really strong arguments and get you all twisted up with a lot of different thoughts. I appreciate activists and resources like liveaction.org, Lila Rose, and my favorite Seth Gruber, many of you have heard of him, who speak out and educate people on the misinformation about abortion. And I'm convinced that if more people really knew the horrific torture that is abortion, 
what a baby really was and how much pain they actually endured, they would never be for abortion. And not to mention the emotional pain that every mother endures for the rest of their life. You just read the statistics, sit down and watch the interviews. I've, we've had conversations with these mothers. It's terrible. But there's a video of, from live action that I, I wanted to show you, but YouTube won't allow us to show other videos, so I'm going to describe it to you. It's, it's a girl giving reasons for why she's pro-abortion and another girl giving a rebuttal to those reasons. And what's interesting is that her rebuttal is the same for each of the reasons. And I, I, thought, it was, I thought it was pointed perfectly. It did. It pointed perfectly to the value of life being the bottom line. So the first thing that this girl says is, I support abortion in the cases where the child will most likely end up in the foster system. So the second girl answers, intentionally killing an innocent human being is not the solution, and it's never okay. The first girl continues with one more reason, but the same rebuttal. But what if the mother is financially struggling, and she can barely take care of herself? What if the child is going to grow up and, and have an abusive dad? What about in cases of rape, though? The answer is, still and always, intentionally killing a human being is not the solution, and it's never okay. Now, there's a lot of conversations to have about this, many things that need to be considered and discussed, but no matter the circumstance, it's never okay to take the life of a baby. Plus, that won't fix the hurt and the trauma that might have happened in the life of that mother anyway. It's also important to ask the question, though, as we have this conversation, when does life actually begin? From both a biblical and scientific per perspective, life begins at conception. Science may not recognize that that tiny human, that that tiny life is a human or valuable, but they do admit that it is a life. Advanced science now enables us to know that the moment uh, an egg is fertilized, they, it tells us that we can, we can know the moment that an, that an embryo attaches to the lining of the uterus and the moment a baby's heart first beats in its mother's womb. That every piece of genetic information that you and I possess existed at the moment of our conception. That's crazy. That the baby's body is, is not the mother's body, that tiny human has its own DNA. Literally everything that we will become is present from that point on. And the Bible tells us in multiple places that life is actually in the blood. Here's something interesting that I read. At 22 days of development, a baby's heart begins beating and pumping the baby's own blood through his or her circulatory system. Scripture tells us that, and science agrees with it. 
Brittany and I attend, along with so many of you in the room today, the Pregnancy Care Center banquet that is held each and every year. And we're so glad to go because our church and our own family financially support this ministry. And by the way, they're doing some amazing work, if you don't know that, and they're making a massive impact in the lives of mothers who need assistance. But it's, it's easy to say that you're against abortion and hold the signs and picket at rallies. But are you for the mothers who choose to give birth? Many of you volunteer and it matters. Organizations like the Pregnancy Care Center, they need our support, our money, and our prayers. They are making a huge impact in the lives of mothers. And there's much debate about this topic. We know that. And several years ago, there was a lady who, uh, who showed up who, um, regarding the heartbeat bill. And I remember hearing from this lady. She was a senator. And she, she said something extremely powerful. She said this. She said, doctors recognize that life ends when the heartbeat ends. Why won't they recognize that life at the very least exists when a heartbeat does? You can even find in many parts of our world where if a mother is murdered with a baby inside of her, there's double murder considered. So life matters in that moment. This isn't a political issue. It's a spiritual, biblical one. And followers of Jesus should support the value of life. From the very beginning of the Bible, we learned that God is the author of life. In Genesis 1, verse 26, it says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Humans are made in God's image, and that gives us incredible worth, and it gives us dignity. And I think every Christ follower knows what Jeremiah 1, 5 says. It says, Before I formed you in the womb... I knew you. I want you to flip to Psalm 139 real quickly or scroll there, however you do it, if you're using a phone. It'll be on the screen either way. But God forms us in the womb. There isn't a baby that God did not form and develop. God breathes life into each and every human. And Psalm 139 describes this work. The psalmist says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. It is clear that God says much about the dignity of each human person from conception. God's word and what we see in science and clear reason actually work together. And as Christians, we cannot allow the sanctity of human life to be delegated and decided by the ever-changing feelings of society and politics. Social consensus, nor does science actually have the final say on the matter. God does. 
And we must fully reject the murder of preborn humans while inside their mother's womb, just as we fully reject the murder of any human that is born outside of the mother's womb. The value of life is a spiritual issue. It always has been. It always will be. And it should be important to the church as a whole. And it should be important to every single believer. The glory of our awesome creator is reflected in the way that he has made each and every one of us, regardless of how we were conceived or the environment into which we are born. We must be firm on what, God's, what God says, on God's authority and what he says about these matters. But that doesn't mean that we do it while we point fingers. There's just no reason to point fingers. Maybe you're here today and you've, you've, you've had an abortion and you, you understand the shame and the guilt that you're feeling and it's overwhelming. We want you to know that we love you and that we would wanna help you walk through that in any way that we possibly could. That we don't know the circumstances that were surrounding that decision. We don't know the desperation that you felt or the spiritual or the emotional consequences that maybe you didn't know were coming your way. That's the price that they don't tell you that you're going to pay. And anyone who's experienced it could share that with you. But there is forgiveness for abortion just like there is forget forgiveness for any other sin. So maybe you've been on the other side of racism. You may have been the one who was or is guilty of, of true racism. You should absolutely repent today. Change the way you view and value life and change the way you speak about others who reflect God's image. Life should matter to us because life matters to God. Christians are told repeatedly to defend the weak, protect the innocent, and be advocates for the oppressed. There is something that each of us can do to make a difference. And it starts with recognizing the value that God places on every human life. So, will we submit to the value that God places on life? God values human life, so should we. And God valued human life enough to come and die for us. And so maybe you're here this morning and it really begins there with you making a decision to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Your authority is not in the God of the Bible, that your authority is in you. It's in what, what politics are communicating or what music or what, the, what, what social consensus is communicating to us. So what will your decision be? As a Christian... Will you submit to the value that God places on human life, even if it causes you to wrestle with some things? Will you trust him? And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, 
Will you put your faith and your trust in him to save you? Because he values your life. God created us in his image, but sin separated us from him. And the penalty for our sin is death and separation forever in a place called hell. Apart from, uh, apart from God and other Christians, and you can't be good enough to get to heaven. You can't pay for your own sin. You can't give enough money. You can't go to church. You can't go to VBS. You can't do all these things. It doesn't matter. You can't do enough to pay for your sin. But paying the price for our sin, Jesus Christ came and he lived the life that we couldn't because he cares about life. And he gave up his life on the cross for you and for me. And he says that those who would believe in that and acknowledge that and trust that can have eternal life. That they can pass from being dead in their sin to being made new and to be given new life. And so if you're here this morning and you have never repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what are you waiting for? Because you can do that today. You can call on Jesus to save you and he will. And you can do that right where you sit. Or here in just a few moments, we'll be dismissing our service and we'll have a deacon over here to my left, to your right. And they would love to answer any question that you may have Maybe something about today's message or maybe just issues of eternal life. What is heaven? What is hell? Who is this Jesus? I want to know more. If that's you, we want to encourage you to have that conversation this morning. Christian, will you make a decision to trust what God says about the authority of life? The decision is yours. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much today for the opportunity that we've had to gather together to sing these songs to read scripture together, to hear your heart on some very challenging issues in our culture and in our own hearts at times. And so God, I pray that this message has been encouraging to the hearer. God, that you would remove anything that I said that was a barrier to the listener today, God, that you would speak to your people. God, I pray that you would use this message to encourage others and to equip others. God, I pray for the person in the room today that does not have that personal relationship with you. God, I pray that they would make that right today, that they would have that conversation, that they would give their hearts and their lives to you because you loved them enough. You valued them enough to die for their sin and to offer them something that they don't deserve but you give it to us so freely. So Jesus, thank you so much for the sacrifice you make. Thank you so much for the forgiveness that you offer us each and every day, in each and every circumstance, in each and every struggle that we have. You are always there and you always forgive. So thank you for that. Lord, help us to live like you, help us to live for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.